Church, wonderful time of worship in song. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. And now we turn our attention to worshiping God through his word. Uh, This morning, uh, we are back in the book of Ecclesiastes, but it's important that you have uh, sermon notes to follow along. Some of the things, because we'll be addressing a number of scripture today, uh, will be uh, on the slides, on the screens. Some will not be. Some will be in the sermon notes, but not on the screen. So uh, make sure you got sermon notes, okay? Uh, these are available for you as you come in. If you did not get one and would like one, if you would just slip your hand up, and our ushers will uh, get you a set of sermon notes so you can follow along. So anybody need some? Yep, yep. Hold your hand up nice and high, and we'll get started. All right. There are about uh, 31,102 verses in the Bible. How many talk about money? Possessions, give me uh, an idea. Seventy-five, good. Okay, from someone who doesn't know the answer. Um, okay, seventy-five. Do I hear eighty? Can I hear eighty? Eighty-five. Eighty-five. Okay. Okay, a couple hundred. Good. Hmm. Three thousand. Oh. Eighty. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, good. Well, let's uh, (laughs) give you the answer. A little over 2,000 verses in the scriptures deal with money and uh, possessions. Uh, That's a lot. In fact, the way it works out uh, in the New Testament, one out of every seven verses, one out of every seven verses in the New Testament deals with this topic of money or possessions. In fact, it's talked about more in scripture than faith or prayer or a bunch of other stuff that we spend a whole lot of time on. Uh, and all of them are important. Uh, but it was definitely the number one topic for Jesus in his teaching. As Pastor Michael mentioned last week, Solomon mentions the words uh, in Ecclesiastes as well. Different aspects of this wealth. Eight times money, five times prosperity once. Rich three times, poor five times. Uh, so here's a little sampling of Solomon's thinking about this. Uh, we welcome you this morning to the continuation of our sermon series uh, from Ecclesiastes called The Search uh, for Meaning. The Search for Meaning. Why am I not healthy, wealthy, and wise is the question that we're dealing with uh, today. But here's some sampling from the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, by the way, there's a quiz coming. I remember that fact, okay? In a couple of weeks, you're going to be quizzed. Uh, who is the wisest man who ever lived? Yeah, keep that one in mind, okay? All right, God gives some people great wealth and honor and everything they could ever want, but then he doesn't give them the chance to enjoy these things. They die and someone else, even a stranger, ends up enjoying their wealth. This is meaningless, a sickening tragedy, Solomon wrote. Then he went on to write, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Isn't that a refreshing way to live? Enjoying and being content with what we have today rather than desiring what we don't have or what somebody else has got. That's real wisdom there. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. How about this? Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. I think that's important. Enjoy prosperity when it's here, but with the understanding that it can go away just like that. In fact, it will go away just like that. It's sometime in our life, hard times will strike. 
So enjoy prosperity. It's a good thing to do when it's all going well. But understand, when hard times strike, and they will, that nothing is certain in this life. And that both come from where? Both come from where? Prosperity and hard times both come from God. So what do you think? Does God want us living in plenty or does he prefer us being poor? Just wanted to get us thinking about that. Does God want us existing in bounty and abundance or are we more spiritual when we're poor? Does God prefer us being poor? Hmm. Hmm. Here are two very differing beliefs that we might hold to. The first is called the prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel. It teaches that financial blessing and physical health, financial blessing and physical health are always the will of God for the follower of Jesus. Okay? Sounds easy enough to kind of digest. If we have enough faith in God, in his word, he will deliver to us security, prosperity, happiness, joy, all of those kinds of things. So theologically, here's how it works. When Jesus went to the cross to die for us, he took upon himself the curse of poverty and sickness. The thinking would go like this. Were poverty and sickness here before sin? In other words, in the Garden of Eden, was there poverty or was there sickness? No, there was not. So when sin entered the world, poverty and sickness came with it. Now Jesus, in his all-sufficient work on the cross, did away with the curse of sin. Would you agree with that? You can say yes. You think I'm setting you up. Would I do that? You bunch of chickens. Thank you. I agree. I agree. When Jesus died on the cross, he did away with the curse of sin. Thank you. Yes, he did. And a part of the curse of sin is sickness and poverty. Yes? Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, this teaching started in America, believe it or not, <laughs> in the 1950s. In the land of the free, in the home of the brave, and the great prosperity and abundance in this country, uh, this teaching didn't originate in the rest of the world. In fact, they think it kind of ridiculous, to be quite frank with you. But it came from America in the 50s. It gained momentum through the 1980s through televangelists and more recently by uh, many influential uh, people in the Pentecostal movement who hold this as a basic tenet of their beliefs. And so it's been given the name, the prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel. But you understand theologically the framework in which it's upon us, correct? Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? That if Jesus died on the cross for sin and and poverty and sickness are part of the curse of sin, then that should go away too. How's that working for you in your life? Just a thought. Now, on the other side is the poverty gospel. 
is the poverty gospel. Been around a whole lot longer than the prosperity gospel for thousands of years. And it says what we need to do is sacrifice the possessions we don't need and some that we do for the sake of God. It's a good thing to go without, in other words. So in exchange for living this bare-bones lifestyle, we receive spiritual wealth from having this simple lifestyle so that we can better hear from God. Because this stuff gets in the way of us hearing from God. The poverty gospel is a radical departure from the consumerism and the clutter of the American family today, in which we are here to acquire and possess And so the poverty gospel pushes against that and says, no, get rid of your stuff so that you can be free to hear what God has to say. Make sense to you? Now, understand this is different from the more cooler millennial minimalist movement, which says I'm intentionally trying to live with only the things I really need, which frees me from the all-consuming passion that I have to possess what I really don't need. And it allows us to step off this treadmill of consumerism. It places high value on relationships and experiences and soul care. Sounds like more millennial mumbo-jumbo, but I'm an old guy, so I can say that. (laughs) Okay, so we've got two extremes, right? We've got the poverty gospel, and we've got the prosperity gospel. Way on the extremes. So which do you hold to? You don't have to answer that. I'm just asking the question at this point. All right? Because as human beings, we tend to go to the extremes. We rush off to the extremes. Now, if we were to watch a few hours of Christian television, odds are that some TV preacher would start wailing at us to give to my ministry. Right? My ministry. Brother John. As an investment. Brother John. May May I have a word? Brother John, I'm sorry. Can I hold you on real uh, quick? Who are Can I you? Have a word? I am the righteous priest, reverend preacher, Dr. Sam B. Scammer. Dr. Samuel Scammer. No, I am the righteous priest. Oh, um, okay. Reverend preacher, Dr. Sam B. Scammer. Now, can you, can you just sit down for a moment while I talk? You can just rest. I know you're getting old. It's your millennial jokes. Would you just please sit down? Are you tired of walking in rain and getting wet, fumbling around with an umbrella? Because that can end today. Are you husbands tired of trying to watch the big game on the television and then you get interrupted? Don't you just want to watch in peace? Oh, mothers, let me hear ya. If you're tired of having to cook three meals a day and clean up after three meals, well, today, dishes can cease to get dirty. That's right. And let me hear you, Wisconsinites, if you're tired of this weather with the rain and the snow, it's always wet and cold outside, can I get amen if you want that to end? Oh, are you tired of being late to places because of the such low speed limits? Do you want to drive as fast as you can? But you say, oh, but Dr. Sam B. Scammer, I can't go that fast. My car's falling apart. You can drive that brand new Mercedes Benz. Oh, yes, you can. And you ask, oh, how is this possible? Well, if you give 
to this ministry. That's right. You give your best to this ministry that can take place. Now I'm not just talking about a single one gift. No, I'm talking about your very best. Your very best. Now, who brought their checkbook today? Who brought their checkbook with them? I see you every Sunday here with your checkbook. And I'm going to need your very best today in order, in order for you to get this gift. You ask, what am I getting? You will receive this prayer cloth. Oh, it's like gold from heaven. All your cuts, bruises, rash on your skin will go away. Your life will be transformed. Oh, but I got some bad news for you. This gift is only offered today. Only today will you have this chance to receive this prayer cloth that will get you all that you want, all that you desire. Your life will be full of peace. But only today will this happen. Will this gift be available to you? Now I know who wants to be first. Who's going to be first to receive this? Oh, do not be foolish. Do not be the last to get this gift. Oh, don't wait. Do not wait. You say, oh, but I need that money to feed my kids. With this, you'll be able to feed your kids for life. (laughs) You'll be able to send your children to college. No worries. Just this one-time gift of your very best. Let's make it happen. But I got such bad news. It's only available. Only available today. Only available. So, who will it be? I know someone's being called. I know it. Is it you? Do you want desire a new car? You could get a girlfriend. Uh, security, security, we got clean up in aisle three. Oh, you don't understand. I'm not finished. Escort Dr. Scammer out. I'm I'm not done. Let's go. I'll be in the lobby. (laughs) (laughs) All right, you've been scammed, I think. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Yet a few hours later, watching Christian television, another preacher would declare that we need to give up everything in order to follow Jesus fully. So which is right? Which is right? Both sides use the Bible with more than 2,000 verses at their disposal. Both sides have a lot of ammo. Here's a little sampling. Words of Jesus. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. What does everything mean? Pretty much everything. Yes. Here's what John wrote at the end of his life. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may what? Prosper Prosper and be in good health. Just as your soul prospers. Don't be afraid, little flock. Sell what you have and give to those in need. If you give, you will get. Your gift will return to you in full and overflowing measure. So which is right? Poverty prosperity. Now, it's clear from the teachings of Jesus, I think, as as we look at the New Testament in total, uh, Jesus never advocates a life of poverty as a means to spirituality. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? Yeah. 
He told only one person to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. Just one person. In that case, the young man's money was his idol keeping him from God. Jesus was addressing the idol, not the issue of money, just as Jesus has to address the idols in our own heart that keep us from fully following God. So if we understand what Jesus was saying in that context, that makes it much simpler, I think. The Bible does certainly teach its right to provide for our families, to plan for the future, to make wise investments, to carry on business, to give to the poor, to support God's work. All of that is in Scripture. Would you agree with me? So we have that understanding. It's rather being selfish and stingy and greedy and miserly about possessions that Scripture strongly addresses. That attitude that somehow this is mine and belongs to me. Okay? So again I ask, which is right? Poverty or prosperity? Hmm. Neither. Interesting answer. So I, I love what Solomon said. Here's a very wise statement. Don't be too good or too wise. Try to walk a middle course. Those who fear God will succeed. Aren't those wise words? Because we're always, we always tend to run to the extremes. And then we see everyone else is wrong because we're on the extreme and looking at a whole spectrum in front of us without ever considering that eh, they may actually have some good points there. Hmm. So I love what Solomon says. Don't be too wise or too good. Try to stay the middle course. Keep your life balanced, in other words. Be open to what God is doing. And those who fear God will succeed. So I propose a third perspective. Now, the poverty perspective says the real Jesus follower will have nothing. Will have nothing. The prosperity perspective says the Jesus follower will lack nothing. Boy, those are way on the extremes. Now... The stewardship perspective says, I manage what God gives me for his glory and the good of others. So there's something in between these. We'll call it the stewardship perspective. What does that word mean? A stewardship or a steward is one who manages somebody else's stuff. One who is in charge of the household affairs of somebody else. And so we begin thinking about this. Stewardship is simply managing in an orderly fashion what God has given me. And in order for me to be a good steward of the stuff that God has given me, I have to begin with an understanding of who owns the stuff in my life. Who owns my car? Who owns my shoes? Who owns this stuff? Is it me or is it God? The moment... We can declare, God, you are in control and I'm not. The moment that we can say and mean it in our hearts, God, you own it all and I don't, then we can begin the process of managing all that God has given us. Let's see how this positions, uh, these three positions stack up. Now, I've given you a chart there, right? It's on the back side. And uh, this is for your perusal at a different time. Uh, we'll fill in the blanks. It's actually quite simple. Uh, across the top are the three perspectives, right, that we're talking about. And along the left-hand side are various topics or issues so we can put it on a grid and see how they intersect with each other, how they are different from each other. Make sense to you? So uh, let's take a brief look at that. Uh, view of prosperity. The poverty folks say true treasures are in heaven. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why are you buying all this stuff down here when you should be worried and concerned and involved with what comes next? 
It's eternal life that's important, not this one. The prosperity folks said, "Uh uh-uh, prosperity is a reward for right living. And if you're a child of God, then God would want his children to have the very best. And so prosperity is a reward for being in right relationship and right living with God. The stewardship perspective says, ah, we are managers of whatever God gives us. We're simply managing what God has given us. How about a view of poverty? Poverty folks says, hey, we're poor and it's God's will. Yoo-hoo. The prosperity people say, we're rich and it's God's will. Yoo-hoo. The stewardship perspective says, God's will isn't ever determined by the amount of possessions I have or don't have. has nothing to do with it. has nothing to do with it. How about scripture? I'll let you look those verses up yourself. Very differing views. How about motivation? Poverty folks says, I just need to be content with what I have and not worry about what I don't have. The prosperity folks said, no, I'm into seed planting. Everything that I do is taking that and investing that with the idea that it's going to return to me 30, 60, 100 fold, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Jesus did say that, right? And... The stewardship perspective, no, it's all about systematic giving. So on the first day of the week, I will set aside a sum of money in accordance with God's will for my life, and I will give that to the Lord as my reminder weekly that he owns everything and I don't own anything. It's systematic giving that's important. Okay? How about my perception? I'm destitute for God and proud of it, says the poverty folk. Prosperity folk said, I'm blessed by God. Hallelujah. The stewardship says, I'm a manager for God. I'm a manager for God. He's calling the shots. I'm just doing what he asks me to do with his stuff. Very different perspective. Possessions are, according to poverty folk, they're a curse. The more you have, the further it's going to pull you away from God. Prosperity folk says, no, it's not a curse. It's my right. It's a right. This is my right as a child of God to have these possessions. Okay? The stewardship folks say, no, it's a privilege. It's a privilege that God gives me. Anything that I have, it's a privilege, and it's a gift from God. Okay? How about desire? Poverty folks says, oh, give us today our daily bread. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. Give us today our daily bread. That's all he's promised. And so that's my focus. That's my desire. God, give us today. Prosperity folks said, no, it's overflowing abundance. Given it shall be given to you, Right? Whereas stewardship folks say, nah, uh, my desire is, God, you'll give me wisdom with the stuff that I have so that I can honor you and help others because it's all your stuff and I know you're going to take care of me and you've given me this stuff so that I can glorify you and help others. How about the attitude? The last one. Poverty folks say, just be chilled, would you? Put some scripture in there for you. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Rhetorical question. The obvious answer are, yes, you're more valuable than birds. Isn't that good to know? Right? He takes care of them. Chill out. He'll take care of you. The prosperity folk are kind of driven. They're driven. Solomon wrote, those who love money will never have enough. Once I get a little taste of it, ooh, boy, just going to whet my appetite. I want more. I'm going to give so that I can get. And it'll be pressed down, flowing together, overflowing. Yeah. Whereas the stewardship folks say, you know what? I just want to be faithful. I just want to be faithful with what God's given me. That's all I want, just to be faithful. Jesus' words, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. And he's talking about spiritual things there, far more than money. 
Okay? All right. Let's take a little bit of a break here. Question or comment that you have on what we've covered so far? Because from this point on, we're going to apply it to our lives. Okay? How does this work out? So, any questions about what we've covered so far? Is it fairly clear? You got two extremes? You got the one in the middle? Okay. Each have Bible verses to support what they believe? Okay. All right. We'll move on. If you do have questions, let me know. Be happy to talk about this. So we would discover then that stewardship is not a financial issue, but a spiritual issue. Because it has to do with who I am in relationship to the God who loved me enough to go to the cross and die for me. First and foremost, God wants our heart. Would you agree with that? Does God need your money? Uh, Does God have a lot of money? What Bible verse says something about that? He owns the cat on a thousand hill. Now, we don't live in an agricultural kind of scenario these days, but the cat on a thousand hills uh, is lots and lots of money. Okay? Uh, And God is generous. Do you agree with that? God's generous with his stuff. Yeah. So once he's got our heart, we can trust him that what comes after is a part of his plan. We've already seen that that God can give some people a lot and some people a little. Here's what 1 Samuel says. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. Wow. So once God's got my heart, I can trust him that what comes next is actually a part of his will. So God gives some people lots and some people little. He lifts some up and he tears others down. And our life can even be filled with this kind of thing, can it? There are certain seasons of prosperity and certain seasons of scarcity in our lives, but God never changes. He is consistent in all that he's doing. And he's working on our heart through all of this. It is God who makes some poor and others rich. That's not for us to determine. Okay? Now, God makes some rich. So are you rich in here today? Wonderful, wonderful. Are you poor in here today? Wonderful, wonderful. Well, maybe just one wonderful on that one. But the point being, it's God who's doing this, right? The better question is, what are we doing with what God has given us? It may be a little, may be a lot. What are we doing with what we've got? Maybe a little, maybe a lot. What are we doing with what we've got? Ooh, I feel a rap coming on. Oh, I better not embarrass myself again. Okay, I won't, all right? So that's what stewardship is all about. What are we doing with what we've got? It's not a matter how much or how little money make any difference. What are we doing? Are we honoring God and helping others with the things that he's given us? So, stewardship. It is not a financial issue. It is a spiritual issue. And it goes to the core of our heart. Now, what's the most valuable thing that you have? Not your wife. I am, well, let me rephrase that. Okay. She's extremely valuable. But in all of our lives, what's the most valuable commodity in our lives today? 
time. Yeah, Jesus is always the right answer. I love that answer. But I think we would all agree, in this time, in the season of life of this country we call America, time is more precious than money. Time is more valuable than money. So if we're talking about stewardship, we have to talk about that which is most valuable to us. And that's our time. Experts say that time is more valuable than money. Put a mental picture of your calendar in your mind just for a moment. At a certain point of the week, either at the end of the week or the beginning of the week, I look at my calendar and say, oh my goodness, I can't. There's no, there's no wiggle room. It's just like full. Wow. But the question is, are we being good stewards of our time, which is a gift from God, or are we just managing to hang on for another day? What are we doing here? Yeah, I know. The kids have lessons. You've got music lessons, gymnastics, dance, swimming. There's a school and sports of all sorts. And even if you're a grandparent, you've got to be in all your grandkids' stuff. And, and everybody's busy, just busy, 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 busy. Are we taking the time to build into relationships? And that's what God has given us time for, for that which is most meaningful to him. And that is relationships. Our spouse, our children, our grandkids, our friends, our family. Lord knows we've got enough guilt already. And the church is guilty of using guilt as motivation. It's sick. Jesus never uses guilt for motivation. And we shouldn't either. And we try to avoid that here. But I don't want any of us to stand before the Lord on that day and hang our head because we thought we were busy for God when we were just plain busy. And there's a big difference. So I'm asking us to take another look at that calendar. Can we be courageous enough to cut back? Can we be courageous enough to cut that out of our calendar to say no to that thing? What is it? When are you going to do it? See, I believe that God has assembled in this church and in every other church across the globe well-intentioned people for the most part. You've got great intentions. But our destiny does not change by having good intentions. Our destiny is changed by a good decision that I make today to do something that I'll act upon because faith without works is dead and we can make a decision here. But if we go out of here and leave unchanged, we haven't done anything. Faith will always be evidenced by a transformed life, not good intentions, good desires. It's not desire that changes destiny. It's the decision that's acted upon. And some of us got to cut back. Just thought I'd remind you of that. Because I look at my life and I look at our lives and I'm saying, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. The second thing, and lastly, is our treasure. In the last week, Pastor Michael did a great job teaching that God owns everything. I was so impressed by Pastor Michael's message last week. I thought he was spot on. Man, just nailed that thing. And I'll tell you why in a second. He told us that we can believe that God owns everything, but if we are truly living that out, then it becomes reality because, again, faith without works is dead. So if you believe that God owns everything, your life is going to start looking a little different in fact, considerably different in the way we handle our time and our money. And then, quite uncomfortably, I thought he did some boasting, quite frankly. I thought he was boasting. 
He told us that he and his family give 20 to 25% of their income to the Lord's work. And then he said they haven't changed in their giving, although he took a fifteen dollars to $20,000 pay cut to join the Southside staff a year ago, almost now. And I, I thought you were boasting. I just want to make that public. And I loved it. And I thought it was spot on. I thought it was spot on. Because understand, he was doing exactly what Scripture says to do. Here's what the Bible says. It is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. He was boasting in the Lord. You see, here's a young man who's got incredible passion and burden that people be liberated spiritually in the area of finances. He's living it out. And you should hear him pray. You should see the agony that's on this young man by, uh, that, that people that are in such financial bondage could be freed if they would just do what God says. And he's not ever saying you should give 20 or 25%. There's some people that should be giving 50%. But the average evangelical gives about 2% to any charitable cause. And we're missing the point of generosity in this. Here's a man and his family who live out these principles. And he's got a tremendous burden that others live these principles. His boasting was in the Lord. It was spot on. Spot on. Okay? I want to make that clear. And I'm making Michael very uncomfortable now. I love it. (laughs) Scriptures goes on to say, those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord. He knows the Lord. He is living out God's principles in his life. Boast on. He also reminds us money doesn't necessarily bring happiness. Might for a short time, but it's not going to over the long haul. Cardi B. Cardi B is a rapper and media personality who's influencing millions of young people. I've never listened to one of her songs. I don't care to because the lyrics don't draw me into the presence of Jesus. Uh, in fact, they would kind of take me somewhere else. She doesn't live for Jesus, but she's influencing millions of young people. Yeah, young people nodding. Good, cool. And I'm not recommending you listen to Cardi B's songs Listen to what she said, though. This is a person seeking. Everything that I want to buy, I can get. I don't have to worry so much about my future. Even though I'm happy, I feel like I was a little bit happier two or three years ago when I had less money. I felt like my life was mine. Now I feel like I don't even own my own life. I feel like the world owns me. Welcome to Possessions. That which you think you own, owns you. And you are answering to it. I want to answer to the Lord Jesus. Michael wants to answer to the Lord Jesus. As a steward, I'm going to give an account for everything that he's given me, every second of my life, and every dollar that he's put into my hand. Now, here's what Solomon found. He wrote, I bought, I collected, but as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. I bought, I collected. As we talked about before, the richest man who ever lived. So to counter this, Solomon wrote two words in Ecclesiastes 11.1. Here's what he wrote. Give generously. Give generously. You see, giving generously counteracts all of this junk to acquire and possess and to continue to collect. 
Giving away, giving generously is the attitude that God has toward us and that he wants to have towards his stuff and the people in our lives. To give generously, to give generously. Well, what does that look like for you and me? I don't know. Ask God. I have to ask God. God, what does it look like for me to give and live generously? I can't answer that for you. God can answer it for you. I can't. But the way it's going to look in my life is different than the way it's going to look in your life. But the attitude must be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We should be giving and living generously. I'm convinced of that. Now, if we're going to do this, it's got to happen intentionally. Here's what Isaiah wrote. Generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. Love that thinking. Generous people plan to do what is generous. I go back to my point. If you have a desire to be generous, you got to make a decision and then live it out. What is it going to look like for me to give and live generously in my life? Now, after more than three decades of following the Lord, I will say this. Simple is better. Simple is better. Generosity is freedom. I'm a simple kind of guy. And that's simple truth. Let me ask it this way. I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask you to respond to this right now. If you have given to the Lord joyfully and generously and sacrificially and consistently for more than 10 years, more than 10 years, okay? If you have given to the Lord joyfully and generously and sacrificially and consistently for more than 10 years and you can boast in the Lord and say my God has met my needs my God has met my needs you have lived this way for 10 years or more would you just stand right now you are boasting in the Lord we're not looking at you what we're doing is boasting in the Lord And this isn't saying anything about those of you who are seated. It says nothing about that. But this is a moment when we as a church boast in the Lord and every one of these people could take this microphone and explain to you why they have given generously to the Lord in his work and how the Lord has met their every need. This is basic Jesus-following, folks. This is basic, basic Jesus following. And so 10 years or more, it's fantastic. Let's give the Lord a hand for his faithfulness, right? He is faithful. Thank you. You may be seated. Now I'm going to close with these questions. I just want you to start rolling them around in your brain, okay? First one, have you given your heart to Jesus? This obviously is the starting line. This is the starting line. Because this won't make any sense 
And we're all in different places spiritually in the room. And I appreciate so much what Pastor Michael said. We're not trying to manipulate. We're not trying to put pressure on anybody. God doesn't need our money. He wants our heart. Once he's got that, then things begin to happen. But I ask again, have you given Jesus your heart? Now, there's some here who may not be quite understanding what this is all about. Now, you've heard the story. You've been around Christmas and Easter enough. You live in the Midwest. You get all this stuff. Jesus died on the cross for sins. Okay. And you may understand that. But the reality is he's alive and right here in this room, and he wants a relationship with you. And it's far more than saying yes to a creed and praying a little prayer. It has to do with surrendering a heart fully to the one who loves you so much and just wants to embrace you and lavish you with his generous love and learn how to walk with him. If you have questions about that, we'd love to discuss it with you. But there's some people here today, and you know what? The heart has grown just a little bit cold to the things of Jesus. A little bit cold, a little bit lukewarm. And God's saying, come back to your first love. Come back to your first love again. And remember those days when it was vibrant and it was passionate. And your life was being transformed. But now you're kind of stuck. It doesn't seem like we're progressing spiritually. And I ask you, does Jesus have your heart as the Lord of your life? Does Jesus have our heart? That's what I ask myself. That's where it begins. This is when life will begin to make sense. We'll find answers and meaning and hope and purpose and all the things that he's promised that we've been studying about in Ecclesiastes. It starts there again. As I wake up again and say, Lord, here's my heart, take it. Here's my heart, Jesus. I give it to you. Secondly, what bad news am I believing about the topics of time and generosity and money and possessions? What bad news am I believing? What bad news am I believing right now? Like, oh, if I give to the Lord's work, I won't have enough to live on. What bad news am I believing that, that's contrary to the truth of Scripture? What fear has captured me? What's there? What's there? What bad news am I believing from somewhere in the past? Maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you tried it and didn't work. Maybe, well, I don't know what it is. But what bad news are we believing that's contrary to the truth, the liberating truth of the Word of God? Thirdly, what is the good news God wants to tell me about who He is and what He can do? Now, hear me carefully. God is not telling us what to do. He reveals who he is and what he can do. It's a whole different mindset. Because we in America say, what do I need to do? Just tell me. I'll do it. What do I need to do? I'll fix this. I can do this. No! It's God in us that makes the difference. Is it not? He does it. And so my question again, what is the good news God wants to tell me right now about who he is? And what he can do with that bad news that he wants to take care of so he can show us who he really is. Lastly, what is he saying to me right now that I need to know? Not what I need to do. Stop it. Stop it. What is he saying to me right now that I need to know? about who he is 
in the situation in my life right now. Oh, I love the sound of Bible zipping up. It's like music to my ears. Oh, you were unzipping it. Zip, zip, zip. That's okay. But let's just take a moment. If you want to close your eyes and bow your head, if you want to look up, you want to do whatever you need to do, just ponder this for a moment. What is God saying to me right now about who he is, what he can do, and what I need to know? Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Speak to your church. Free us, Jesus. Give us ears to hear. Father, you are constantly speaking. Speaking good news of who you are, how great you are, how wonderful you are, how able you are. God, give us ears to hear. God, give us faith to believe. God, give us courage to act. Transform us, Lord. Show us, speak to us. And in a few moments as we go from here, I'm asking that you would continue the dialogue so that we might live and give generously as stewards of all you've given to us. Open the dialogue, Lord, and we'll thank